This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by the Tenth Co, creators of science-backed supplements for mothers by a mother. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us as we make work, work. I'm Lucinda. And I'm Loz. And Loz, last Friday we had a pretty special event. Your brother Justin married his husband David. He did. And seeing him walk down the aisle, a bejeweled diva, which he always is in our life, he's the colourful, musical performing, incredible diva in our lives. He walked down the aisle with your blokey father and it was a really amazing moment for me. I think I knew your dad was walking him down the aisle, but it did take my breath away. Yeah, it was pretty special. I think what makes it more special is my brother is out there, which I love, everybody loves. And my dad has probably more recently become very comfortable with that. I think it has taken time. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, when Justin came out, you know, dad was like, woohoo, let's crack the verb and celebrate. Like it was never a moment like that. But I think what stuck out most for me is how proud dad was walking him down the aisle. You know, he wore this really cute little glittery gold lapel. It was, yeah, it was really cute. And it was amazing that dad did get to do that. And Yeah, a really special moment in time that I think we'll look back at and cherish. It really marked a moment of progress for me. Yeah. And today is loosely themed around fatherhood and progress. So the timing could not have been better. Let's get stuck into it. How a construction industry giant tripled the number of men taking parental leave. In June 2004, John Holland became the nation's first major construction contractor to introduce paid parental leave. So 20 years and a few policy tweaks later, men make up 42% of all parental leave taken at John Holland. Wow. And that's compared to a pretty low stat Australia-wide, isn't it? So low. 13% of parental leave in Australia is taken by men. That's actually lower than I thought, even for today's standards. I think that's higher than what I thought. Really? Yeah, absolutely. What's even more staggering for me is that construction is ranked number two behind mining as one of the most male-dominated sectors. Two things I want to shout out to John Holland for. Number one, they offer 18 weeks of paid parental leave. Tick. Amazing. Love that. Pretty progressive. Number two, there is no minimum employment period for permanent employees to access it. So you can start on day one and take it. Go on leave the next day. Love it. Love it. Actually, I'm going to add a third one in there. Employees also continue to receive superannuation payments while on paid or unpaid leave for 18 weeks. Huge. That's yeah, that is that really huge. hits mothers. So I love that. Yeah, because so many companies, it's so surprising. So many progressive companies still don't offer that. The superannuation conversation has been really left behind in this whole paid parental leave. We'll have to do an episode on that another time, actually, because I'm super passionate about that one. The whole notion of paid parental leave, particularly for men, is an interesting one for me. So my partner, I've been on parental leave twice. So my partner has taken two weeks for both of those times. But even then, he was still answering calls, checking emails. Of course, he was present and he needed to be because there was lots going on. But he still had this notion of 
Yeah, it's not the same, is it? And it's maybe not even him wanting to work. I imagine you wouldn't feel like you're actually allowed to fully switch off for those two weeks. Yeah, so in my mind, there's still quite a bit of stigma attached to taking parental leave, but I'm curious to know what you think. I think stigma is a huge barrier for fathers taking parental leave. I know a friend of ours personally who's a very present, willing, engaged father who does his load even he, who works at a firm with really good perks, is hesitant of if and how he'll take that leave. I think he gets about six months and when he was talking to my husband about it, it was probably a good thing that I didn't chime in or couldn't chime in because my first oh, thought, I can I'll imagine what you'd say. He was talking about how he's worried about what progression would mean if he took up to six months and he doesn't have to take it in one foul swoop. It can be taken in segments. But regardless, he was worried about what that would do for future promotions and opportunities. Yeah, but this is what women think about every day. That's exactly my first response. That's why I called ready or not ready or not. It wasn't really about being emotionally ready for a child. It's about being ready to take that pause in your career. Because if you are the birthing person, there is a pause. Yeah. It might be three months. It might be a year. Whatever it is, there's a pause and a huge change to your life that – I don't know if he realised when he was even having this conversation with himself or thinking this through, I'm not sure if he realised that that's what his wife has to do and has to think about all the time. Mm. But on the other hand, I am very aware that in these economic times, and I'm going to sound like a bloody politician. A news presenter. (laughs) Now more than ever. It is really unaffordable. Life is really unaffordable. Yeah. So because there unfortunately is still a gender pay gap in a lot of mother-father families, the dad is still most likely earning more money. And the thing is that as much as I would like to see dads take that leave to its entirety, if they are worried about then how it's going to progress their career and if that has flow-on effects to the money that comes into their house to paying their mortgage, I get that it is a really loaded decision. So I get the logic behind it, but my theory is that there is still very much a stigma. The only way that stigma is going to be broken is if dads take the leave. Taking full-time leave for one month, three months, six months is not going to hamper your career that much. You do not detonate a career by going on parental leave for three months. So as much as I totally understand why this might be a point of pressure for fathers that are the breadwinners per se, I think unless they take that leave, that stigma is going to take forever to break down. That's obviously what John Holland is doing really well because in order for nearly half of their workplace to feel comfortable taking it, there has to be someone from the top also doing it. And I think that actually trickles down and makes other people say, you know what, the CEO, the COO, whoever that executive C-suite person may be, they're taking it. So bloody hell, if they're taking it, and they're the top dog at this company, why wouldn't I? And if they're not, you raise such a good point because if they're not and you're a direct report of theirs, what do you do? Yeah. One of the men at John Holland that took parental leave said, I think until you actually take on the full responsibility of being a primary caregiver, it's difficult to fully appreciate the scope of what's involved. This Amen. is a huge one too because we know from this article that it's good for relationships. It's good for the relationship between the primary and secondary caregiver when the secondary caregiver understands, even if it is just for a month. We've seen the benefits of how that then flows into their relationships with their children and the relationship with their partner. And we know that a happy household really should be the goal here and that things flow on from that. Even my husband, Ryan, he did a week at home with Sienna. Bear in mind, Sienna was still in daycare, so she's still in care five days a week, but he did all mornings, all nights. 
So not exactly a replica of what I would do. At the time I was in sleep school with Zave and three nights in, he messaged me and it was like, how do you do this? The house is a bomb site. I'm exhausted and she won't fucking go to sleep. And you're like, oh, you actually get it. You yeah. don't just think I'm sipping lattes and doing shit all. Exactly. Which I mean, sometimes I am. There's the rare occasion, but it's unlikely. Normally after or before chasing a child down the street. Yeah. And, and the amount of times I vacuum. I'm vacuuming <laughs> 55 times a day. There are beautiful mat leave days. Don't get me wrong. Where you have a wine with your friends and your baby's behaving. But a lot of the time it's not like that. 99%. So him learning that is invaluable. Absolutely. And it did make such a difference because I felt appreciated. I felt seen. I felt seen, yeah. So John Holland, good on you, setting the way, paving the path. If more men can take it, imagine imagine the relationships that would better from it. Go, Johnny boy. Mother Untitled posted something that caught my eye recently. It might not be that much of a surprise, but it's worth noting, and that's that recent research indicates that millennial fathers dedicate three times as much time to their children compared to their own fathers. As I said, not a hell of a lot of a surprise there, but three times was still probably a little bit more than I thought, and Mm. that is significant. I think it serves as a really nice reminder for those days where you feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall, because I'll have some days where I'm like, things are looking great, equality rules, and I'll have other days where I'm like... Oh, everyone still expects everything from me. Mm-hmm. But for example, when I see Hayden just owning the dinner bath bed routine, I'm like, oh, it's not rocket science. Like exactly. it can be done. Yeah. Sometimes I think we place these expectations. Like mm. they don't have to be cooking filet mornier, whatever the hell that thing. What is it? Yeah, I think you've created a new recipe, well, so I have to, <laughs> I might include that in the yeah, show notes. It's a tip. If you want filet mornay for dinner, <laughs> here's how to make it in three they easy don't steps. They do be cooking a three-course meal, like macaroni no, cheese is no. fine. But seeing someone own something, or particularly seeing a father own something from start to finish, yeah, it's nice. it feels like a yeah. new thing. Like it's perhaps not what we saw as much of our fathers in their generation. Yep. And I do think this is multi-generational, this effect, this ripple effect. I think it's actually rippling up to grandfathers. I know a lot of grandfathers these days that say they're changing way more nappies for their grandchildren than they did for their own kids. So I think millennial fathers and just our our generation as a whole are not only improving things for our generation, they're actually teaching things to the older generation too. Mm, I agree with that. I do think it's funny, like as an example, my dad, amazing, changes a nappy, He's has quick, he's efficient. Friday. Yeah, he's, he's gonna so have good. Xavier every Tuesday, is that right? He is. He's excellent. But my nanny, sorry, she said, and this is my grandmother. Who's 94, sorry, by the way, 94. and she's incredible. She still and she's plays so croquet fit. and yeah, does balance and bones. Oh, I love it when she talks about balance so and bones. So I, amazing. So she said the other day, oh, look at your dad. Isn't he just, he's so good with them, isn't he? I was like, why? Because he's changing nappy. Yeah, I'd leave him in the shit-stained nappy. Yeah, as in of course he is, but it's so funny, like interesting yeah. comments like that Yeah, where my grandpa obviously wouldn't have done that and so for my dad to do it, she's like beaming. Yes. You know, her whole face radiates like, my son, look at how amazing he is and with isn't kids. isn't it funny for you and I, our reaction first and foremost is probably like, oh, why do you not expect that from a man? But hers is probably wow, I'm seeing new things that I'm not used to. So there is a long way to go. But when I see that happen... I might actually interrupt you there, Lou, because if you're Joe Jonas, you're doing it all. 
<laughs> you are doing it all. There is not a long way to go for him. He's reached the peak. He, he has the reached the Everest. peak. Uh, I missed the Jonas fangirl days. No idea why because normally I'm is all over that. Is there two of them? There's three. Oh. <laughs> wow. You're three a long way behind. incredible dads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I did miss the fangirl days, but I could not seem to get away from the headlines about Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas splitting. And normally when I see a celebrity divorce, I'm like, okay, next. Right, I don't really care. But this one was super fascinating for me. Joe Jonas's PR team released a statement saying, she likes to party, he likes to stay at home. They live very different lifestyles. With another news outlet stating, Jonas is caring for the couple's two daughters, three-year-old Willa and her one-year-old sister, whose name they have not shared, pretty much all of the time over the past three months. First of all, their daughter is three all of the time for three months. Like, I'm just not commuting that. I wish I knew maths better to tell you what percentage of her life It's that ludicrous. Was. It felt to me like such a dig. For me, this is such a stark reminder that even the progress that we've just been talking about with fathers, even if in the household and in groups we're moving forward, society and media love to drag us back. And it makes me think if Beyonce was going on a world tour, there'd be no headline about her taking her kids on it. If she left them at home, it would be Jay-Z fathers full time while Beyonce goes on months long tour. We wouldn't be reading a title saying... Beyonce mothers her way through a worldwide tour. So it does really go to show, even in individual households where things are more even, society really expects more from mothers than fathers. Yeah, and as a girlfriend of mine rightly pointed out too, apparently the couple had fought tooth and nail to keep the kids away from the paparazzi for the past few years. And what do you know? All of a sudden, right in the nick of time, one of the first photos we see of the kids are of Joe Jonas dadding with the kids at lunch taken by a paparazzi for hire company for like for example they're staged like come on really so basically when it works bring the kids out for yeah publicity. it's so cringe it's nice to see that this narrative is being called out for what it is bs women are allowed to want more than motherhood i absolutely i love being a mom but i also love working i love seeing my friends solo I love going to the gym without my kids. Like there are things I like to do. And in Sophie Turner's case, she was working on a project as in that is her work. We would not be commenting if it was the kids with her and him going off on whatever tour is here. I don't even know what he does. He's a singer. Yeah. He makes oh, a great a- song actually called Waffle House. It's played. Oh dear. Is that a kid's song? <laughs> it, I mean, kids, adults, kids, adults you know, <laughs> or whatever. It's a broad roof to in the car. Um, Let's keep our eyes peeled to see what new stories come out from this because I think unfortunately for Joe or fortunately for Joe and women worldwide, it's backfired. Ten years ago we wouldn't have seen this backfire, would we? No, and it has and it's great. I love it. Love it. Good luck to you, whichever Jonas you are. I can't remember if it's Joe or Nick. Loz, I recently read that postnatal depletion affects over 50% of mothers and the effects of it can last for up to 10 years after giving birth. Gosh, that's a long time. No wonder we're so tired. What many new mothers don't know is that if they don't replete and recover from the early phase of motherhood, they will feel the effects for years to come. I'm 18 months postpartum now and I think postnatal depletion really kicked into gear for me around the six-month mark. When do you think that sense of depletion really began to hit you? I think for me it was later. It was around the eight-month mark. It's such an important topic. 
When mother and founder of the 10th Co, Frida Algars, completed tests with Dr. Oscar Serilach, her results showed significant depletion in key vitamins and minerals. This led to a whole host of things, digestion challenges, low mood and anxiety, lack of sleep, skin breakouts, and the list goes on. She was so compelled by what she found that she created a supplement with Dr. Serilach that works to relieve fatigue, assist energy production, calm the mind and support healthy mood balance. What I love about what Frida is doing through the 10th Co is her conversations around the fact that just because postnatal depletion is common, it doesn't mean that it's normal. There are so many things in motherhood and postpartum that we brush to the side because we're busy and we think it's normal, but the 10th Co's message serves as an important reminder to rethink the way we look after ourselves in motherhood. Anything that is intelligently made and serves a purpose for mothers, especially those trying to navigate work alongside their parenting, is a big yes for me. And me. You can shop the 10th Co's top-rated product, Flow State, and learn all about the burnout that led to the creation of this incredible product by visiting thetenthco.com. Listeners of Witching Hour will also receive $15 off using code FEELCALM through Witching Hour at checkout. Lou, I know we've spoken about this before. I have got quite a lot of friends at the moment who are either returning from mat leave re-evaluating full-time work, which seems to be a common thread, or looking for new roles altogether. I've had so many conversations of late around the topic of part-time work, and it led me to this article, a mum's search for a flexible content design role. To break it down for you, she provides her winning formula on how to find part-time work. And as a bit of a spoiler, it took her eight months, 10 applications. Eight months is wild, but 10 applications isn't much. Look, she did say in this piece that she was from a place of privilege. So she had the time to kind of really focus on the jobs that she wanted as opposed to that like blast approach, which we've all done. And if you need a job, you need a job. But her tips, which I thought were interesting, apply for full-time roles. I think this is a good one because sometimes if you're looking for roles, you place that filter on and you're automatically filtering out like 80% of roles. I would never think about it. And if you think about it from the lens of someone that did work full time, but then went on mat leave and came back, that employer knows and values that mother or father. And then you scale back from there. If you don't even get in the door for these jobs to then prove your worth through an interview process and then talk about going to part-time or then talk about the possibility of part-time, you're pretty much excluding yourself from every conversation. Her second tip was mention flexibility in that first or second interview. And flexibility can be anything from working from home or it could be something a little bit more specific, like could I start in this role full-time for the first six months and would there be the option to scale back if I'm on top of my workload, know the team? I love this tip because I worked in a sports industry Mm -hmm. So obviously you have your seasons where you're much busier. So I worked at Cricket Australia, obviously the summer and the lead up to summer is the busy time. If I did go back to that role post maternity leave, I was going to suggest four or five days for six months of the year and three or four days for the quieter six months of the year. So I think keeping open to these different ways of working is really clever. Love that. She also said, be transparent that you're looking for part-time hours. So there's no point trying to sugarcoat it. If you know that eventually, even if it's in six months time, a year's time, immediately, whatever it is that you're looking for, if you know that you don't want to do full-time or it's just not feasible with all the other things on your plate, 
there's no reason why you can't express that. Yeah, so it's sort of like getting in the conversation to begin with so that you're in there if they really like you. We're not we're not shy. We're not pretending that we're going to take on the role full time and then rocking up to day one and going, Oh no, I'm not free on Friday, I don't have childcare. <laughs> what she's saying is keep yourself in the conversation and in the mix by applying. Don't shy away from the fact that you want to go part time, but be open to full time jobs and see where they can lead. And she sums it up really well. If your organization is a champion for diversity and inclusion, which I'd almost say 99.9% of organizations are, and inclusion is essentially also flexibility, then be a champion for part-time roles too, because that's exactly what inclusion is. This week's Ready or Not episode was with the solo mother, Rachel Maximovic, and inspired by that episode, which I really think everyone should go and listen to, because we all know or will know a single or solo parent along our journey, and I learned a lot from her. So inspired by that episode, I went out to the Ready or Not Instagram community and asked for the best tips in supporting solo or single parents. So we've both picked out two of our favorite tips from our listeners, And the first one is get specific with the help you need and rip the Band-Aid off feeling guilty for asking. I really love this. Rachel touched on this a lot that you can assume people know how to help, but a lot of the time people want to help, but they really don't know how. So we just need to, a common theme in motherhood in general, but especially for solo parents, is that you actually just have to call out the help that you want. Yeah, or I'd almost rephrase that and say, If you're someone that's offering help, don't say, how can I help? I mean, I do it. So I'm obviously a bit of a, you know, what's the word called? Fair with a friend. Yeah, fair with a friend. I am. No, so I do it. But what would be more effective for myself and for that person that I'm offering the help to is say things like, hey, I'm grabbing a coffee. What's your order? Are you home? Can I drop her around? I love this. It makes such a difference because it takes the onus off them deciding how you can help. And it's already something that you're doing. You're getting a coffee. So dropping one off to them is easy. I've definitely got a little bit better about calling out how I can help someone else. A friend of mine is pregnant and needs to lay really low at the moment. And I said to her on Thursday, I'm making spaghetti bolognese. So she could say that it was hardly changing anything for me. All I had to do was drop it around. I was cooking it anyway. Doubling bolognese does not matter. And then she could just accept the help rather than being like, oh, thank you. Dinner on Thursday would be amazing. And what what should I make you? Also, as if you're ever going to ask, like, I'm so proud. I'd never be like, hey, do you mind coming around to do my laundry? Because it's piling up and CBF. Yeah, exactly. Delicious spaghetti and bolognese. No, just come around, lend a hand. And that's why as well, we do need to get more specific. So on both ends, everyone needs to get more specific with the help that they need and that we can offer them. The other tip that came through that I loved was exchange care with friends or other single mums for breaks. We have friends that live a couple of streets away from us. Babysitters are bloody expensive, if you didn't know. And you're always going somewhere where you're likely to spend more money. Yeah, exactly. So your night out that's going to cost 150 is like doubled. So... My girlfriend said the other day, do you know what? Can we just do like a monthly date night where you take our kids, then we take your kids? And I was like, yeah, for sure. She's like, all right, 18th of September, lock it in. And genuinely, the fact that she just booked in a date didn't make me You're feel like bad. like 17th, I'm going the night before <laughs> you. <laughs> but I think the hardest part is committing to that first one because once you've done the first one, no one cares. It's all about ribbing that band-aid Yeah, off. just get in. And you always want to help someone too. Like if you had a single friend oh, you know who really needed the help, you'd be like, 
Yes. It is I'll a, help you. It isn't even that. Do you know what was actually delightful? I went to their house by myself. The kids were already in bed. Kids always behave better for someone else too. So they were angels. I sat there. I half a block of crunchy chocolate. Did they babysit you too? <laughs> yeah, somewhat. Yes, <laughs> it was actually nice. I was like, you know what? Hang out, have fun. I'm not home with my kids. It's I love great. Me. I used to love babysitters. Oh, it was really nice. Last tip that I want to share here is understanding that you are a mother and they are a mother, but the load is not always equal. I think this is really important. And obviously there is some context around this. Some stories of partnered relationships, there might be other things going on that mean their lives are just as busy as a single parent. So we don't want to assume anything here, but it is worth noting because I think sometimes as parents, we can be like, I actually can't take on more than I'm already taking on. And I think a lot of the time we need to honor that because otherwise we just burn ourselves out. Mm. But if you have a solo parent friend in your life, there's a very good chance that the load is not equal. They don't have someone well, else got contributing whole... to finances. They yeah. don't have someone else helping with the washing, the cooking, the cleaning, the daycare drop-off and pick-up. So I think that's a really that nice reminder. I know. The thing that really drove it home for me is that you're the breadwinner and the primary caregiver. That's a lot. It is. Lou, you've got a tip for this week. I'm going to sound a bit angry here. Okay. But I was approached on LinkedIn this week by someone whose industry very loosely matched my own. They worked in video TV production, which I have also worked a bit in, but in an entirely different industry or category within that. And they live in New York. Anyway, I get this copy. I'm already irritated. It's annoying, isn't it? We're on other sides of the world. I get this copy and paste message. They obviously haven't really looked at anything I do. It was like, I'm impressed by your experience and I would love to catch up to talk about how we could work together. Can we just unpack that catch up? Do they understand? What are you doing catch up Are they flying me to Manhattan? I hate that. If that's the case, I will go. But I'm going to guess not. I'm all for creativity when it comes to how you can work with others and how you can help others. Do not get me wrong. I've LinkedIn messaged a lot of people in my time. And there's nothing wrong with a cold outreach. Nothing wrong with it at all. But if you're going to make connections online with strangers, look into who they are and what they do, personalize your message and talk about how you might be able to help each other. Don't just copy and paste the same message to a hundred people within your network and expect a warm response. Well, particularly if they're asking of your time to meet them, to mentor them, to give them advice. Yes, you have to be personal and by all means go for it, but do not do the copy and paste message that I got in my LinkedIn this week. Yeah, spot on. My tip this week, and it relates back to flexible work and the notion of applying for 10 roles. Wow. A lot more if you're the average Joe, yeah, is you're probably more qualified than you think. I absolutely love this, Loz. When I saw it on the production schedule, I was like, yes. Yeah. I've always kind of lived by that mantra. I think. And that's where you and I differ a lot. Yeah. So I think women can really undersell themselves. And I also think far out, you've got YouTube, you've got podcasts, chat GPT. Chat GPT. There's so many things that if you're not a hundred percent, you can learn them and you can learn them quickly. There's a million tutorials out there. You just got to invest a bit of time. Research shows that while men apply to jobs when they meet an average of 60% of the criteria, women and other marginalized groups tend to only apply when they check every box. This is so telling and it is so me. If you're on the job hunt, apply. You would be so surprised how many people don't that should and 
how hard it is to find good talent. And you always remember this on the other side. If you're hiring at work or your colleague is hiring at work or your mat leave cover is being hired for, you're always aware of how hard it is to find good talent. But when you're applying, we always seem to forget that. Yeah. I think that's a really good tip, especially for women. Well, to quote Russell Coit, we could have chatted for hours, but it's time to hit the road. (laughs) That is so cringe. I love it. As always, if you have loved listening to Witching Hour, please leave us a positive review and follow us on readyornot.pod. See you next week.